In the future, we know that all diverse careers will need to understand computational thinking. So something like if you want to go into architecture, it would be great if you know how to code. If you want to be a CEO of a company, it would be great if you know how to code. Not necessarily because you're going to be doing it, but because you have to be able to speak the language. Welcome to Tech Talks. You have just heard from Elizabeth Tweedale. She is our guest today. She is the CEO and founder of Cypher. Hopefully that gives you a bit of a taste of what to expect in the show. This is the bi-weekly podcast that debates the latest challenges facing emerging digital and tech spaces with guest expert insight from leading figures across the industry. Whether you're in the space or just listening for the love of tech, this is the podcast for you. I'm David Savage, and today I'm not joined by Jack Pierce. He has a cold. So, Robin, Robin you Keegan. You sound disappointed when you say that. I am not disappointed. <laughs> that could not be further from the truth. Although you said you're not feeling particularly well. I'm not. I don't know if you can hear it in my voice and my throat, but I sound really nasally and bummed up. So, yeah, it's kind of come out of nowhere, though. Yeah, fair I thought for, it was you a do hangover, sound pretty, it's, it's pretty not. awful. <laughs> Only I'm allowed to say that I sound pretty awful. <laughs> I thought it was a hangover, but I don't think it's a hangover anymore. I think I'm genuinely ill. When did you last drink? Saturday. Yeah, that would be a fairly extreme hangover. It would, wouldn't it? I yeah. only get hangovers. But obviously, it looks a bit suspect me coming on a, on a Monday saying I feel ill. You've been drinking on the weekend. Well, if you've been drinking on Sunday, yes. No. Drinking on Saturday. Felt ill on Saturday. Woke up on Sunday thinking this is a hangover, but then it got late at night. And you can always tell the difference between a hangover and being ill. And this morning, I don't feel much better. I feel well, the same. Yeah, like the, the the hangover immediately follows the drinking too much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although you know, you say you don't get hangovers. How old are you? Twenty-three. Yeah, that's going to happen. I don't know. There's a lot of my friends get them. You'll begin to get. Them. People say that. I feel like I'm, I'm immune. I don't think it's going to happen. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, thinking of all things age, one quick thing. Yeah. Uh, Pantene have got a new uh, colour called Cool Grey. I feel so on trend. Cool Grey? Cool Grey. So, descri- you can't describe colour. Well, it's grey. So, how's that? <laughs> <laughs> how, how descriptive do you want it to be? <laughs> you can't describe a colour. Oh, that's making you feel included, isn't it? Oh, it's making me feel young. <laughs> The fact that, you know, cool grey is, is, is a colour. Off topic, but I was thinking this today, since since being on the podcast with you, I discovered that I really hate the sound of my voice. Yeah, that happens to everyone, I think. I hate it. <laughs> Listening back on it, like, this is what I sound like every day. Do you get, you get that when you first started doing the podcast? I still have it now, but I've just kind of had to put up with it. Really? It's Well, it's, it's, it's a hazard of running a podcast, right? You're not really going to be able to avoid it. No, I know. I can probably do things to improve. So you're telling our audience that you really enjoy being on Tech Talks? I love being on Tech Talks. <laughs> I like sound of my own voice. I'm sorry that everyone has to listen to that. But... Well, all right. Well, well, this is a perfect segue to say, let's not hear from Robin. Let's hear from Elizabeth. We'll go no, into no, our interview. Be on it. You've taken that the wrong way. <laughs> uh, no, no. We will go into the interview with Elizabeth. Um, as the introduction alluded to, this is all about skills. And um, not just skills in terms of the market right now, but thinking about skills and how it might affect the job market in 15, 20 years time. Perfect, if you're a parent, keep listening to the end, you will discover why you might find something to do with your children this summer. So today we're chatting to Elizabeth. You're the founder of Cypher. How new a business is Cypher out of interest? Uh, Cypher has been running for three years now, so we're just about to start our 
third year, our fourth year of summer camps. And am I right in thinking that you've only recently moved into Hockletree West? Yes, yesterday. Wow, okay. So still getting used to your new surroundings. <laughs> yes, exactly. Fine. Um, look, I was having a look at uh, some of the stuff around Cypher online, and I saw this interesting line, and this might be good from a context uh, piece. So Cypher asks, is your child future ready? Yes. Um, and I guess that probably encapsulates what you're doing as a business, right? Yes, exactly. Because we're trying to prepare the future generation for this inevitable world of computing and mm -hmm. technology that you know none of us knows exactly where it's going to go. So that's which the challenge. Must be fun preparing people for something which no one really knows where it's going. Exactly. <laughs> but I think you know it's easiest with the children because they're ready to learn and ready to explore. So it makes our lives a little bit easier. Out of interest, what's your own background? Because you're obviously not British from your accent. Yes, I, I'm American, yep. but I've lived in London for 11 years. But mm -hmm. my background is in computer science and art. And then yep. I have a master's in architecture as well. Right, okay. Computer science and art as well aren't necessarily two subjects that you would immediately Yeah, so it's quite together. interesting because um, growing up, I had decided before going to university that I wanted to go into architecture. But mm. that's something that if you start out in undergrad, you have to do seven years of, which I thought would be a little bit tedious. Right. So I thought in order to diversify, I would choose art and mm. maths as my majors in university and then do my master's in architecture. Mm. Uh, but one of my first courses in my maths major was computer science 101. And I loved it. So as soon as I took that, I switched my major to computer science. I still had a math minor, but... Right. Uh, Yes, that was kind of what cemented my love for computer science right there. So obviously you have a love for computer science, but what was the trigger point to make you go, oh, hang on a minute, there's there's a gap here, I could provide something that the market needs. Yeah. What, what was that kind of point of inception? Well, I was consulting at um, leading architecture practices in London, including uh, Future System, which is now Amanda Levy Architects, and Foster and & Partners. Um, and I had seen that a lot of my contemporaries were teaching themselves how to code in order to... Uh, program buildings so design facades or design master plans and things and they were always kind of running up against these blockades because they were learning a specific language like Python in order to solve a specific problem but because they didn't have the fundamentals of computer science it was always extremely frustrating for them so I thought this is something that you know everyone needs to learn at a much earlier age and at that point I had very small children and thought this is something that they need to learn. Uh, so they were about five and three. And around the same time, a new programming language had just come out called Scratch, which was developed by MIT, which is a block-based language. So you can imagine coding um, syntax and languages stuffed inside what you could imagine as Lego blocks. And mm. so then you just stacked those together in order to form code. So it made it accessible for children from a very young age that couldn't type, but could read to be able to learn how to code. T typically in schools, and I have to admit that I have no idea on this point, but when when do kids start learning coding or yeah. basics of, of, of programming? Because when I went to school, I don't think we started doing anything IT related <laughs> until maybe year nine, when we were yeah. like 13, 14. Yeah. And I kind of, it feels a bit like with modern languages. I, I didn't start learning any modern languages until I was about 11 years old, yeah. by which point it feels a little bit late. And <laughs> yeah. I always, felt that the curriculum system had that had that wrong. What What is the yeah. current state of affairs? Well, actually, it's quite interesting because computing is part of the national curriculum now. It's been uh, there since about 2013. Right. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> but um, 
the UK is only the third country in the world to adopt it as its natural cur curriculum, which is quite exciting. But this means that all children will have to learn how to code uh, in key stage one. What that means is that they'll have to be, under be able to understand the basis of computational thinking and how to read code. Key stage two, they'll have to be able to see code and edit it into what they would like it to do. And mm -hmm. key stage three, they're technically supposed to be able to code things from scratch. So this is a huge challenge that um, you know the UK is putting out and each of the different four uh, countries are doing in slightly different ways, but all sort of trying to achieve the same, same thing. So the answer to your question is yeah. they're actually learning how to code at age four now, as soon as they start reception. Which is fantastic. Some form. Yes. I have to admit though, I, I've, I've sometimes thought, would it, would it be something good to kind of have some basic coding knowledge? And I always kind of think, oh no, but I'm rubbish at science and maths. <laughs> like, I, you know, I, I studied history and French and geography and I studied politics at university. I'm a humanities student through and through and I've yeah. always kind of gone, I don't think I'd be very good at that. Well, I is think, that a common misconception? I think that is a common misconception. And one of the beautiful things about computer science and computational thinking is that it plays to any mindset because there's no one way to solve the problem. Mm. So I think one of the frustrating things about people that don't have a mass brain is that if you don't know how to solve the equation in the right order, yeah. you're never going to get there. And that's just not how your brain works because there is actually only one way to solve that algebraically. But with computer science, you can get to the same answer through multiple different ways. So for example, if you were asked to draw a row of five stick houses, you could either draw five boxes in a row followed by you know, five little pointy roofs, or you could draw one house followed by the next house, followed by the next house, and get to the same problem. So I think that's one of the nice things about computer science, and it's just about showing children that, you know, it doesn't necessarily matter your mindset, but actually it's just problem solving. So look, I kind of, I, into practice. I kind of joke around a little bit about my misconception, but I suppose thinking about uh, not only the misconceptions around STEM, but also gender bias mm -hmm. when it comes to technology jobs, mm -hmm. Do teachers and parents share those misconceptions? Because I, I, I was hosting an event not too long ago where they were talking about the fact that actually the, the, the pipeline issue is removing the barriers that teachers and parents are throwing up mm. and stopping their kids um, effectively exploring these subjects further. Yes. I think um, one of the things that we like to talk about at Cypher is the diversity of the types of careers and industries that will be utilizing things like coding. and. I think in our current state, we always think, oh, programmers are the only the ones that are coding websites or programming artificial intelligence or very as a very specific role. However, in the future, we know that um, all diverse careers will need to understand computational thinking. So something like if you want to go into architecture, it would be great if you know how to code. If you want to be a CEO of a company, it would be great if you know how to code. Not necessarily because you're going to be doing it, because but because you have to be able to speak the language. Um, so one of the challenges that we have is not only educating the children, but parents and teachers that this is something that, despite whatever career path your child wants to take, having a foundation in computer science or computational thinking will be helpful. One um, story that I love is I have a friend that owns a tea business mm. and um, she was redeveloping her website and was quite frustrated at one point because she couldn't actually speak to the developers. I mean, she's the CEO of a multinational tea 
company. Why would you need to know how to code? But I said at one point, well, why don't you go right away and read one of my books about um, the cloud and databases and things like that. It's a, it's a book for five-year-olds um, that I co-wrote. And she went away and she came back and she said, you're right, that was for five-year-olds. But actually, now I can speak to the developers. So I know that the cloud is not up in the clouds. It's an actual database somewhere. And so they could actually just have the conversation about what needs to get done. Uh, so even in that example, where you'd think somebody that owns a tea business, why would they need to learn how to code or learn about coding? Uh, well, it's because that's the language of the future and that's what everyone will need to be able to do. So you've talked about the mentality which is quite interesting because we, we were doing a podcast only a couple of weeks ago. In fact, it's, it's going to be uh, the podcast that's released tomorrow at the time of recording, which is Independence Day, oh, nice. um, yeah. which is uh, with another American, yeah. uh, the uh, EMEA CEO of Yext, who is, who is talking about the fact that having a framework or an understanding of coding does change your mindset. Um, but you said there are different approaches to numerous different problems through computer science. And... Uh, men and women approach problems in a slightly different way. So how, how does that affect the way that, that gender approaches some of these issues and, and, and how does that affect the way that people think of, think of problems through computer science? Is it, is it that, I suppose, the theory of how you approach a problem through computer science is more important or does actually, is there some interesting divergences in the way that men and women approach it? Well, um... I love that question because it reminds me of one of the first lessons that I ever taught, which was for a room full of six boys. And these were the type of kids that would become computer scientists, whether we helped them or not, you right. know, the gamer geeks. And I completely related to them because that was me as a child. Right. Um, but approaching this lesson, which was essentially making a Space Invaders game, but using Scratch, they were all fighting to get done the quiz quickest, uh, have the coolest looking rocket ship and score the most points by the end of the one hour session. Mm. Flash forward to the next term, uh, when I was teaching a room full of girls, the exact same lesson plan, and it took them probably twice as long to code the same lesson. However, the complexity that they had added into their game was much more broad. So for example, they had cupcakes falling from the sky instead of just the typical round bullet that had yeah, yeah. no design and if the cupcake hit the alien the alien would get a little bit fatter and say yum <laughs> at the same time uh, and it could move around so it was actually thinking why are we making this game and what does the game do so even though it was the exact same set of code and they were trying to get to the exact same outcome they were approaching it in two very different ways which I find extremely interesting which I suppose is a wonderful argument for inclusion in the workplace because exactly. you're going to have that right we need to get to the to the goal yes and so it's not saying that actually complexity. we need more women in it's actually that women and men need to be working together to solve these problems because it's great that the boys were still pushing forward pushing 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 competitive 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 mm. but the girls were also asking why and how do we you know dive deeper into this and kind of getting the complexity there so actually by bringing the two together we're going to get to a much better state for the future so last last point um and this might bring a little bit uh of your of your business goals back into the conversation but if we're thinking about the future of work and we're thinking about how ai is is seen potentially by a lot of organizations and might disrupt working practices. What do you see future jobs looking like and how does that relate back to 
the work that you're actually doing on a day-to-day basis with your with your clients, your customers now? Yeah. Um, well, at Cypher, we teach children between the age of five and 14. Um, and it's quite interesting because some of the feedback from our parents is that they are more comfortable with technology than, than the parents themselves. And one of the misconceptions about AI is this kind of fear-mongering that mm. AI is going to take over our jobs, which is actually not the case. But there are going to be automation and artificial intelligence that take over some jobs, but it's us as the humans that are going to be programming the AI and actually working alongside those algorithms. Because artificial intelligence is not to the point where it's broad and can do everything. Um, It's developed for very specific tasks. So my previous uh, company, which is called GoSpace, uh, which is still up and running, is artificial intelligence for the workplace. And so it's the spatial adjacency of how teams get together in big office space. And that is a patented piece of software of AI, but it's for a specific purpose. So there's no reason to you know, be afraid of it taking over. And this is something that we're teaching children at Cypher is that um, artificial intelligence is a tool that we are actually yielding as humans Mm. in order to make our lives simpler. But that doesn't mean that they'll be taking over our jobs per se. It's just that those jobs will have to be evolving into other things. And I think that's something that children actually love and can understand. But it's something that in our generation, the parents, that we're kind of terrified of because we think, oh, yes, maybe that's my job. So, look, if you, if you are a terrified parent, just on, on, on a very last point, um, you said there you, you're working with children between the ages of 5 and 14. Mm-hmm. Are you working in conjunction with schools or is it, is it kind of private tuition? How, how could a parent who's a little bit nervous but wants their kid to yeah. understand this, this sector a little bit more get involved? Um, so we have camps every holiday time, right. uh, which is quite exciting because the children are off essentially all the time, <laughs> every other month, <laughs> well, that, 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 that solves a problem for many parents, yeah, right? Yeah, <laughs> so it's not only that we're preparing the children for the future, but it's also the, the problem of childcare. Yeah. What do you do with the kids to also keep their little brains active? Um, so I think one of the exciting things is that this is more of an Americanized camp style. So it's not just you're sending your kids to camp from 10 to 4 and they're stuck in front of a screen. There's right. outside time, there's running, there's playing, there's healthy snacks, there's collaboration. Um, a lot of the projects that we do also, you know, the children are working together and this is something that it's not only creativity that they'll need for the future, but yeah. collaboration and cooperation between teams. Uh, so yes, our camps run every holiday time. So we're just about to kick off the summer. We have eight weeks going. Our awesome. next uh, half term will be October. And every week is a different theme. So we do exciting things like Fit for the Future, where they're programming their own uh, pedometer, like a micro bit, um, Fitbit kind of thing. Uh, Or they're also programming their own wellness app, how to make themselves happy in the mornings. (laughs) Or we have Earth is Calling, so they're focusing on how to save the rainforest, the Arctic melting ice caps, and they're tracking ice melting using, you know, devices and things. So, Yes, our camps are quite diverse in trying to bring in different um, exciting things for children to learn so that it's not just how to program robots, but actually why are we programming the robots and what are they doing? So if we're learning about um, plastics in the ocean and how drones are being used to find and collect them, then the children learn how to program their own drone and you know just as a base level they'll just program their own drone to lift off and set back down but the more advanced will actually be able to find a piece of plastic and pick it up and bring it to the trash bin yeah so 
don't come to camp just in order to learn to program drones, but why are we learning to program drones? Well, it's to save the world, and this is how you can do it. <laughs> fantastic. I think some of our political leaders should probably attend. But um, anyway, look, it's <laughs> yes. been fantastic to talk to you. Thanks for giving up some time. And, Thank uh, you so much for with, having me. Good luck with the camps that are coming up. Thank you. Thank you. We, we always talk in technology um, that we need to expand the talent pool. And obviously, Elizabeth with Cypher is doing exactly that by going and introducing children to computer science. But I love that it comes from a point of view of her looking at her own life and her children and kind of going, well, hang on a minute, I did computer science, but art and architecture. Mm. And having a think about her own five and three-year-old and thinking about how they might have the fundamental building blocks in place to have such a very creative I think it's just, I just think it's really cool it is really cool and when I was listening to it it was such a different concept because obviously it's kind of preparing kids for the future which we don't know yet it's quite hard to make an opinion on, on what she was doing so it's just so abstract and new to me but listening more to the interview I think you know our, it is heading in that direction it is going to affect a lot of our lives and our jobs that we're doing yeah. it's so necessary to know it and I think kids at a younger age, they, they soak things up like a sponge that like when I was in school, when I was saying in the interview, when it comes to things like IT at the age of, I don't know, like 12, 13 century school, mm. kind of a bit too late, isn't it? You don't grasp it as well as what you probably would. Well, look, I've, I've, got a, I've got just over 10 years on you and me and my wife always joke, so my wife's 32. Mm. We always joke that IT in school, it was like the computer was wheeled in like it was some kind of <laughs> sacred um, relic. <laughs> you know what, you, you laugh about you know, having the, the 10 years on me, but when I was in secondary school, we had those massive computers as well. At the back extended out, for as long as you can see, in glass screens. We had those. Yeah. They were a nightmare. Like when I remember my mum getting our first computer when I was a kid, and you can go make a cup of tea whilst the next page was, was loading. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's crazy, but yeah. I, it's funny because that then informs my opinion. Like like I said in the interview, it informs my opinion of what I, even computer science is, right? Computer science, um, I always think of things like war games, mm. um, which is this very geeky, but very cool 1980s film uh, starring Matthew Broderick, <laughs> all about this guy who basically like uh, plays nuclear war games with, with this artificial intelligent computer, right? But all the coding in it is proper like the the geeky what you imagine coding looks like like green screen flashing icon having to type lots of complicated text the matrix but worse because <laughs> it, it doesn't look cool um <laughs> and then you hear that there's this this language called scratch which is literally block building it sounds like lego which is accessible to young children because you don't even need particularly complex language skills because you're just placing blocks on top of one another and it is giving children quite quite literally the building blocks of computer science yeah i've never, never heard of it before. i haven't and i want to read her book for five-year-olds because mm. it sounds like it's it my level really, it would really help you out because it seems to have a friend and cut to quite an extent so I, I don't i don't you know what it is and the impact it has because you hear of it a lot working in tech recruitment yeah but actually the impact it has on day to day in the future it's just it just goes over my head and actually it'd be quite good to learn something like that because i hear more and more that's the direction that we're going in and how useful it is to have a skill like that and clearly it is but well i think it's quite scary right like i'm a humanities student you're, you're a law student right yes our skill sets at the minute are set 
to last us probably the next five years worth of employment. But if you look at your professional shelf life, it's getting shorter and shorter and shorter all the time. They reckon in 10 years, it might be 18 months. In 10 years time, like we might need to have some basic grasping of, of, of coding, even if we can't necessarily do it, we'd be able to speak in the right terms to survive in the working environment. And that scares the producers out of me because I, you know, I, I underplay it a little bit in that interview. I am rubbish at anything that doesn't involve words. And like <laughs> yeah, when I me mean too. words, I mean like English words. Yeah. And even then I, I can make mistakes. So the idea of, of having to understand coding and that kind of analytical mathematical side, that's never been a strong point. So it's actually really, it's, it's, it's almost uh, a relief to hear that there might be a way into it that's a little less daunting. Yeah, but also I think as well for our generation, that's gonna be slowly trickling into aspects of our lives that 10 years time when it gets to that more advanced stage probably a lot more comfortable with what's going on because just little things here and there getting added into your daily routine and your job yeah. your life whereas learning at school from such a young age you're not going to know any better and you're going to have think more, naturally more depth to, to these skills because you're taught it like I kind of see it similar to learning a language like the best time to learn it is when you're a kid and you just mm. soak up things like like a sponge well yeah you have, a, you have a natural acquisition in your head that gets switched off around yeah. the edge of puberty they reckon and I, and I think that's the exact same for probably something like this you so you're saying I am past it Huh? Yeah, I passed it too. We're in the same boat on this one. <laughs> We're on the same boat. Well, maybe if it's building blocks, I can get my head around it. Uh, yeah, I mean, so, well, I, I'm the same. When I was at when I was at uni and college and school, I was a lot more better with like creative writing and, and subjects like that. But like, math, science, I was absolutely rubbish at, and that's the same for for computers. Couldn't do it at school. There we go. Um, how awesome is the example of the girls and the boys and Space Invaders game and the cupcakes? I loved it. I wasn't surprised though either by you. Um, yeah, no, in a way I, I, I kind of was um, to the degree. Actually, we, we talk a lot about let's get gender balance in technology and um, we it's not that we ignore that there are obvious differences between men and women, but there are differences between men and women. Mm. That's not to say that one's better than the other. I love that this paints such a stark contrast in style, but is the perfect window into why you need that range and diversity in an environment to make it stronger. You want, you want, and it's, you know, she says that she was a, a gamer geek as a, as a child. She probably, you know, it's not exclusively that if you're female, you're going to want to have cupcakes coming down the screen and not be really quick to mm. find the, 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 the quick solution. Obviously not, but but if there's, a, if there's a trend, it would be that obviously girls seem to look for that more complex and broad yeah. solution. And you need that element, that mixture of pace and complexity in a working environment and anything that you apply. So if, if, if technology is going to be robust and fit um, for the for the for the world going forward, then it needs that that broader range of view. Yeah, I did I did find it funny hearing that example because it's just like girls, I guess, when it comes to attention to detail with most things, like they're, they're likely to be like that compared to boys. And I just thought that was such a funny example. I, I was not shocked at all that the girls took more time making it look pretty, whereas the boys were just more concerned of like just like competing against each other and just being super competitive. I just thought, you see that in most things, and I just thought it was just, it was just funny. But also, I thought it was interesting because there's this whole kind of question mark around why there isn't as many women in tech, like what is it? Like, is it the interest that you learn from a young age? Or I think it's very much nature versus nurture, um, like with, with the disparities with it. And I think that was just quite a good example to see 
don't know if that makes much sense. I'm, I just see what I'm trying to get. Like, I guess that the industry is always being geared up mm. to that quick to the solution style yeah. mentality. If you think about agile yeah. um, and, and lean, it's all quick, throw ideas together, mm. co-create, yeah. but it is about speed. We talk about technology moving really quickly. I suppose the language that we use around technology yeah. would suit that very stereotyped idea of a male yeah. You know, the, the boys get the boys creating Space Invaders and trying to get it done the quickest and then play with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rather than the let's have a think about a slightly more complex but maybe interesting solution. Yeah. So, so I suppose the whole language around like the industry. That, that's what I find so interesting. Well, if, if you go in like, kind of nature nurture, yeah. the, 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 yeah. I suppose the whole the whole dialect and and uh, kind of the, the use of the use of language around tech reinforces that yeah. initial boys review. Yeah. Boys view of the world rather. Yeah. I, just thought the, I thought the whole thing was quite interesting. That was social experiment, wasn't it? You know, it was intended. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I thought, I thought the outcomes again. I, I wasn't personally surprised by them, but I thought they were very interesting. And you're right. I think we do that. That balancing out aspect of it is really important because you do need the speed, but you also need the attention to detail, yeah, yeah. which was good. Look, we're going to go to our advert break. Elizabeth, thank you so much for coming on and being uh, our guest this week. Just a quick one on August the twenty second. Myself, Jack, Ryder, Robin, Sean, the whole Text Talks team will be at Tech Hub on Clare Street in Shoreditch that evening for a podcast recording. We'd love to do it with some fans of the show. So if you're listening, have a look at the show notes in whatever app you're on, and you should see a link to the meetup group where you can register to come along and join us that evening. There will be beer and pizza and soft drinks, um, but... For, first and foremost, you'll get an opportunity to spend the night with some peers with from the tech community and share some ideas. It is all about culture in the workplace. You might have noticed that last week we launched a new brand, The Tuck Shop, a monthly tech news roundup with some experts that we've had on the show. It's on our YouTube channel, but we were very lucky to be partnered by Disruptive Live in bringing that to you. Disruptive Live are the UK's first and only 24-7 TV channel for the technology industry. Stay up to date with all the latest industry news by following regular shows broadcast live across the Disruptive Live website and social media channels. You can also catch Disruptive Live at some of the largest global tech events, broadcasting from London, Manchester, Singapore, and Dubai, to name a few. So thank you from the Tech Talks team to Disruptive Live for making the Tuck Shop possible. Welcome back to Tech Talks. Uh, all right, we've had our chat with Elizabeth. Now we're going to have one quick piece of news. Hit me. This is taken from statnews.com. Yeah. It's a long article that I spotted over the weekend on Twitter. Okay. Right. Fitbits and other wearables may not accurately track heart rates in people of color. It turns out that fitness trackers have a problem. They use green light. Mm. Um, I have one. I'm wearing one right now. That's well, true. you're rather pale. No, but it has green light. That's all. Okay. <laughs> 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 I thought I got a tan recently, but thanks for taking me, Dave. <laughs> Didn't really think about that. I'm paler. Uh, <laughs> yeah, okay. Dig out that hole. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, skin with more melanin blocks green light, making it harder to get an accurate reading. The darker your skin is, the harder it gets. I I didn't realise it correlated to that. I thought it was more about... I don't know what I thought it was about, but I didn't think it was to do with the melanin in your skin. Because I, I have one, like, I track it quite a lot. Um, especially when I'm doing fitness and just about my, my day to day and I thought it was to do with your breathing and your movements and stuff no, no, like that. No, no, so the heart rate is entirely, they basically shine a light through your skin to mm. have a look at um, 
to almost have a look at your pulse using light. So uh, nearly all consumer devices that track heart rate rely on optical sensors that continuous, continuously monitor the volume of your blood. In between beats, there is less blood volume at your wrist, and therefore more light reflected back to the sensor. Now the interesting thing here is that most use green lights because they're simpler and cheaper to use um, than the infrared lights that a hospital, hospital grade tracker uses. So basically, they're putting cheaper lights in, but the cheaper lights aren't as good at monitoring the heart rates of people of colour to use. Oh, is that, I've got to be perfectly honest, is people of colour, I mean, that's, well, that's what it's used in the article, is that politically correct? Or sometimes um, I, I think so. I hope I'm not offending anyone. Anyway, that, that's the language that I'm using because that's the language that stat um, news have used. I'm surprised it got through testing then, because surely there would have been a range of different people that tested this on. No, that's the problem. But they haven't, they haven't, they just... They must have done tests on it. There's a line in this um, that goes on. It's it's um, a doctoral candidate in clinical psychology, uh, Dr. Benjamin Nelson from the University of Oregon. Um, or not, oh sorry, a doctoral candidate, so not yet doctor, but Benjamin Nelson. In the past, science hasn't particularly recruited as diverse of participants as potentially they should to be able to create generalised results. Um, they will only generalise, sorry, that will only, not only generalise to white Caucasians, but also generalise to different ethnic and racial minority groups. Basically, the testing samples have always been uh, too small. So they noted wow. that larger sample sizes across various different demographic groups may be able to control for different individual characteristics that allow for these devices to become more accurate in the long run. And this is really interesting, because going back to the interview with Elizabeth, if we don't get more kids boys and girls, but also youngsters from minority groups into the technology sector, stuff like this is going to happen again and again. Yeah, It's going to be white Caucasian men building for white Caucasian men. That's why we haven't seen yeah. more femtech products in the market. And if, we're not, and, and, and if we're not careful, we're going to end up with more instances of health trackers that work for white people but, but don't for black people. That just looks so awful, doesn't it? Whether they intended to or not, it just looks so discriminatory. But at least it's been identified and you'd like to hope that they would then modify it. And I guess the only way of doing that is installing the red lights then, is that correct? That all seems that way. Yeah, I, I, I don't know exactly how it's come about. I'll share the article so you can read it. It's quite lengthy. Um, it's interesting though, because I have one and I, I love this product and you know, I'd be so disappointed um, you know, if, if that was mean it wasn't working correctly. And, I and it, this isn't on. just Fitbit, you know, this is, this is Garmin, Samsung, Apple Watch. Uh, all of them. Yeah. It just shows that if we don't have diversity and in, in inclusion, this is what These we end up with. These things happen, yeah. That's really interesting. Anyway, on that note, we shall leave you be. Um, Robin, mm. I hope you feel better. Your oh, voice sounds too. delightful. It, I like to think I sound husky and sexy. So that's the mood I'm going to go with today. Maybe we should ask a poll. Does Robin sound <laughs> husky uh, and sexy or just a bit ill? <laughs> oh, don't embarrass me. <laughs> uh, but anyway, until Thursday, thanks for tuning in.